Motopod, proudly supported by Roadskin, a UK label specializing in protective outerwear for motorcyclists. Modern biker clothing that you can wear all day long and engineered to save your skin. For the road, for life, visit roadskin.co.uk. race day in the car with Simon Patterson from the race as many of you will know and we'll see on Twitter or X or whatever we call it these days and Simon has been unbelievably generous and kind to me chaperoning me around driving me to and from the circuit so thank you Simon very much indeed for I mean, that you say that but also you have to put up with both my driving and Qatari traffic so I'm not quite sure that it's a win all round <laughs> in the balance of things certainly the traffic is quite alarming at times here <laughs> let's just put it like that but a couple of questions MotoGP Simon Honda for 2024 are assembling quite a skill set in terms of the riders that we, well, one of whom we believe will be there. I don't know if Marine is official yet, but I think that's pretty much a done deal, isn't it? Yeah, it sounds like it's pretty much a done deal, like they're just finalising things. Yeah, on the face of it, it's a bit of a strange choice to fit into a bit of a strange lineup. But I think whenever you look at it, actually, the three riders in particular that they have in Zarco, Mir, and, and now Marini. It's actually a really strong lineup because they all bring something to the project, I think, that maybe even Mark Marquez didn't in terms of trying to take a struggling project out of trouble and making it successful again. Yeah. We know why they signed Zarco. He comes with a mountain of experience. He comes with proven race winning speed now, which he didn't even have when they signed him, but it's been there since. There's a lot of good reasons for him being there. But actually, speaking to him and Mir about Marini over the last few weeks, both of them made quite strong endorsements of why they'd send the Italian as well. Zarco's way of putting it was that, first of all, he said that Marini is, this is a very Zarco thing to say because on the face of it, it's an insult, but it's not meant as one. <laughs> uh, he said that Marini was not one of the most talented riders in the grid, but that he was at the same level as everyone else in the grid, and that had to mean that it was due to hard work, which is exactly what Honda needs right now. They yeah. need a hard-working rider who really, you know, understands what he's talking about. Zarco also said that despite Marini not having as much Ducati experience as he does, he thinks that he probably understands the Desmas Adici better, which is quite an interesting take as well. Yeah. Um, it really sort of lies to, you know, he's got that Valentino Rossi skill of really studying a bike and really spending hours with the data guys and the crew chiefs and the engineers. And I think we're starting to see that in his results at the minute with yeah. the VR46. Can I just say, it was very noticeable on Friday evening when the riders came into the media centre to do their debriefs that Marini was the only one that came in still leathered up so he'd obviously been in the garage that whole time exactly which is exactly what you're and talking about and that's normal about. that's every day that we speak to Luca he's most likely to be the one still in his leathers at kind of any point in the day because he's not left the garage yet which is um, it's quite funny there's Randy Mamola walking in <laughs> <laughs> the things you see then talking to Mir Mir's point was a I don't want to say it was a dig at Mark Marquez because it's more stating a fact but the point that he made was that Marini's we know super smooth rider super sensitive rider and that that's the sort of rider that's able to give really good feedback because they understand exactly what the bike's capable of doing and then he said unlike some riders who are just complete animals in the brakes and ride around all the problems on the bike Mark <laughs> you know so like I said not a dig 
because we know that that's what Mark Marquez's writing style is, and we know from history that super talented riders are not the best riders to develop a bike historically. So what they've done instead is they've got someone who's the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of less talented, more hardworking. Not that Mark Marquez isn't a hardworking rider, but you know he doesn't have the same uh, studious reputation as Marini because he doesn't need to have it. Yeah. So they've done really well to pull together a really strong team, kind of out of nowhere. Because you know, there's no two ways of looking around it, is there? Mark left them in the lurch essentially. Yeah. Um, deciding at what three, four rounds to go that he was leaving and leaving them to find someone, and and actually it's worked out pretty well for him. And do you have a sense with Marquez out of the HRC picture from a development and bike characteristics point of view? I mean, it's very interesting to see what will happen to Joan Mir going forward from here. But with this team that we're talking about, do you have a sense of where Honda are going to try and go in terms of the characteristics of this bike? I mean, for me, another reason why Marini is a good fit for the bike is that fundamentally one of the issues with the RC213 is that whenever you look at it, it, it looks like the same bike it was 10 years ago. Yeah. It, it still looks like a bike that was physically built for Danny Pedrosa. It's small, it's compact, which is all well and good whenever we didn't have aerodynamics and ride height devices that have kind of fundamentally changed how you need a MotoGP bike to be physically. Yeah. The fact that they're putting Marini, who's the tallest rider on the grid, onto the bike, it can only be a positive. He's going to force them to make changes to it. It's going to have to become literally bigger to fit him onto it. Mir was quite amused at the concept of seeing him on it for the first time. He said there's going to be knees and elbows stuck everywhere and uh, it made him laugh. It's going to be Ben Spies-ish. <laughs> it is, exactly. Because uh, Luke is a big guy and the Ducati barely fits him. That, for me, is a change that Honda needs to make. We've been talking about how they're still building a bike for the 2018 Roebuck, essentially. They're building a bike that doesn't play to the strengths of what the rules allow you to do now. Uh, that's something that Ducati, well, Ducati are the guys that wrote those rules basically, mm-hmm. pushed them forward. Aprilia and KTM have done very well to adapt very quickly to follow in those rules. And slowly, 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 Yamaha are getting there in their own kind of uniquely Yamaha way. But if Marini's literal physicality is what can drive them to make it a bit better, then you know, it's another reason why signing them is the right move. Yeah. One other thing, because I know we need to concentrate on driving here and not getting lost, we'll be at the circuit shortly, but this whole debate in Ferrari over front tyre pressures and the rule that exists now, how did we arrive here? (laughs) I mean, the easy answer is COVID, because the European manufacturers were able to keep developing all the way through COVID and built those ride-head devices and those wings that have changed the whole nature of the sport. Michelin were kind of slowed down a lot in their development during the same process and I think for the first time the first time that I can recall we've ended up in this weird situation where bike development has moved far far faster than than the entire development has yeah so the end game is that the front tire just can't cope anymore with the forces that the bikes are putting on it we're braking later we're accelerating earlier there's more pressure there's more force and yeah the result of that is that tire development's been left behind it doesn't help that the rules really, really restrict what's available in terms of testing time. Yeah. Because we've got like six days of pre-season testing, seven days. Whereas 20 years ago, you would just send a rider with a big mountain of tires to a circuit of their choice and let them ride for as long as they wanted until they were comfortable with the new tire and Michelin had loads of data. But we can't do that anymore. 
when we go to tests and there's a new tire to test or there's something from Michelin to try, what we inevitably hear is we ask at the end of the day how it was and the rider says, oh, we didn't have time to try that. We were too busy working on our own bike. And that's the nature of restricted testing time. We needed two years ago, whenever we came out of the COVID bubble, we should have added one day onto every test and said, you're only allowed out of pit lane if you're using whatever Michelin tell you to use. Yeah. If we'd done that, the new tire wouldn't be coming in 2025, it would be coming in 2024. And we'd be in much less of an issue. I'm worried about next season and what it's going to do to the level of racing. My worry is that it's going to just make it very, very processional and boring the way we've seen in quite a few races this year already. It's worth pointing out, I think, that Martin, is it fair to say he kind of deliberately ended up in, what was it, fourth place at Sepang because he just yeah. could not risk that front tyre and exactly. getting another, what would have been a much harsher penalty, already been on a warning. Exactly, it would have been a three-second penalty that would have cost him even more points than taking that calculated risk to finish where he finished. Yeah, no one wants to see races decided that way, do no, they? No, that's, that's not fun. You know, I think tyre degradation and managing tyres through a race distance, I think that's part of motorsport and it's interesting. But I think having to essentially gamble on what your pressure is going to be before the race starts and then hope that it all works out for you, is everything else is said it's boring. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. Thanks for that insight, Simon. Just before we sign off, I just want to take this opportunity again to thank Simon for doing lots of taxiing with me around because <laughs> that's been a great help and saved me on lots of Ubering over the last three days. People, Simon is involved, as some of you might have seen, with a campaign where they raise money to provide medical equipment and now ambulances, in fact, yeah. to Ukraine. A very worthy cause. There's a website, Racing for Ukraine. Yeah. I'll put a link up to it through the socials. If anybody can put a few quid in that pot, like we always ask you to do in the moto pod pot as well that's an even worthier cause naturally so if you can do that please do hopefully after valencia once i beg borrow and steal across the MotoGP paddock there'll be uh, quite a few bits and pieces going on ebay as well to auction off to raise some stuff so if you fancy a pair of riders boots or a pair of gloves or even a set of leathers that we've been promised from one in particular be a great present absolutely yes and again that all that information is uh, available to see via the website that i mentioned and that we'll sort of tweet out put on the website and so on so yeah simon thanks great talking to you and enjoy your off season you've definitely earned it <laughs> thank you very much cheers mate Stuart. Hello. morning Hey, Richard from Motopod. Oh, hello. Yeah, I've bumped hi. into you in the uh, you did, yes. BSB paddock a few times. You did, yes. People might be interested to know. Sorry, I'm recording this. I hope that's okay. <laughs> but uh, I've been dying to get you one day. So um, people probably don't know the extent to which you take part in race direction on the MotoGP side of things. Uh, how, how often are you up in the race control? I think this is about my seventh or eighth this year. So I'm actually uh, part of the MotoGP stewards, which okay. uh, obviously they are uh, coming for a fair amount of steam behind a function called the appeal panel yeah so basically if a rider or a team is not satisfied the penalty that's applied by the stewards panel which is the one that freddie spencer people will probably know yep. sits on then certain penalties are able to be appealed and then i would hear that independently so okay. it's not particularly a frequent thing but i mean qatar is quite a relevant one i mean a few years ago i think 2018 or 2019 was the big event host event where Everyone protested the Ducati aerodynamic devices yep. uh, that were on the bottom of the fairing. Yep. So that yep. was a very complex regulatory pseudo-legal thing which landed on my desk. So that, that's kind of my role. So it's uh, much different to what I do with BSB, which is seat of the pants, race direction. This is um, <laughs> you know, more sort of legalistic. So I mean, okay. it's a, interesting. I'm not sort of like a 
the, the on-site lawyer. <laughs> With that, we should just sound pompous. I didn't know if your involvement perhaps was behind what seems to be, a, and credit where credit's due, a slightly better second half of the season where some of the penalty decisions have well, gone. I mean, I think maybe, probably anecdotally that might be the case. Uh, look, I mean, I, I've read some of the stuff and um, I think, you know, like anything, any judicial or referee person in any sport, I mean... You've only got to look at like the football premiership. I mean, not that there's a, a big crossover with motorsport football, but I mean, VAR and referee decisions and things like that have, <laughs> been, contentious, uh, yeah. have been really contentious. You get it in boxing where you know, it can be a, a split decision. So they're always going to be in the firing line. And motorbike racing has always been inherently different to motor car racing, whereas even at club level car racing, judicial stuff and penalties is rife throughout every category of car racing. And in bike racing, I mean, just using BSB as an example, you might get half a dozen to a dozen contentious points across an entire season. The same happened in MotoGP. I mean, I go back to probably the mid-2000s and one of the, I was running a Donington Grand Prix and it was the one where Rossi uh, overtook under yellow going into Redgate and was docked 10 seconds post-race. And I think that year that might have been one of only two or three judicial things that happened in an entire season. Now the whole culture is, and I mentioned this on another podcast the other day, is there's judicial scrutiny from the teams. As everything's moved up and the margins of performance are so narrow, everyone is fighting for everything on every lap of every corner of every practice session that Rider X might disturb rider wire which it's just the path that professional sport unfortunately or fortunately is on and when that happens the championship has to react and perhaps the championship hadn't been best equipped to do it but now it's getting there but i mean using the, the uh, comparison with formula one and Manor gp i mean the us grand prix in austin for, for formula one happened three or four weeks ago and they were still investigating track limits last week now i would say for looking at both disciplines that the manager p level of technology and consistency on some of those things is actually light years better yeah. but for sure i mean look the culture of motorcycle racing from teams riders and the fans we're all rebels at heart yeah don't like much authority those of us even in authority don't like other people have authority so when something's applied there's a natural reaction and like anything in life there's going to be people that agree and people disagree i mean what is quite telling is, is and yeah, this is stuff that wasn't particularly well reported but part of the improving the relationship between the motor gp riders and the stewards panel was right about the time of the french grand prix the motor gp riders were given a set of recent on-track transgressions and basically said what would you do? Right, yeah. Um, and obviously they had the luxury of knowing what did happen, but the balance of opinion from the riders ranged from being wholly shouldn't have done anything to the other side, which is what people hung. And then, uh, then a, sort of a, a solid middle ground, which wasn't too far off the opinion of what the stewards were. So that kind of told you that yeah. they weren't too far off. But what is really important is consistency of decision, understanding the explanation of decisions, and having a framework, and these things exist called protocols, where, you know, it's a bit like if you go through a red light on the highway, it is what it is. If you get done for 32 miles an hour in a 30, you get three points and a fine. If you do 60 mile an hour in a 30, and it's outside of school, 
you're going to prison yeah. or you're losing your license but you'd know every time and and that's the stage we get into but yeah. you know there's 20 21 occasions in a year to refine move on and improve i think they're on the right path interesting what you've said about there being a kind of a perhaps a bit of an overcorrection with the amount of penalties that have been dished out and now a sort of a recorrection to bring it to a slightly more stable position i mean obviously in bsb you tend to get things right all of the time so I must just ask you very briefly because I've got a job to do whilst you're here. Well, firstly, congratulations to the team in Macau who had a great yeah, yeah, result no, overnight. Just, just on the phone to Faye, I was yeah. uh, friends in uh, Vegas watching the Formula One and yeah. uh, <laughs> the Macau Grand Prix here, and it's just like uh, recovering sort of like 23 hours. But let me just ask you I mean, BSB could not have gone any better in terms of how it finished up. Last lap of the last race, just terrific, wasn't it? No, it was a stellar season. I mean, the death of competition, the needle, and obviously it was. Um, underpinned by a, a, a load of unforeseen tragedy and emotion and then some yeah. legacy emotion obviously yeah. with the Brightwell family so that whole kind of mix of everything delivered a you know a season that won't be forgotten for very many, very many years yeah, yeah. well Stuart thanks ever so much for stopping and talking no, to me it's no, a great no, pleasure to do it along with us no, cheers nice to meet you thanks Thank a lot you. cheers Tony Hi, Motopod. Okay, you're all Hello. Hello, how just are bump- you? I'm very good. I've just bumped into Tony Elias in the pit lane. Tony, welcome. Hello. Are you welcome. coming to all of the races nowadays or just visiting Qatar as a guest? Uh, no, I'm looking for uh, Grisini. We, uh-huh. we start this race Qatar and uh, Valencia and then then we'll see. And what is your role it's with the team? Coaching and also helping to the crew riders and crew chiefs mm-hmm. uh, keep the harmony and uh, good atmosphere like using your the, experience uh, yes, to help yes yes and what do you think about MotoGP with the sprint races now is it something you would have enjoyed uh, when you were riding in this class for sure uh, it's uh, always it's very difficult races because it, they are short and you don't have time maybe it was not my strongest point not the first part of the race I always liked the long races and uh, my strong point was at the end, no? Yeah. But for the show, it's amazing. I love it. I follow all the championship, and we had a great time on TV. During the off-season, when it's quiet, I love to watch the Portuguese race in 2006. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of everything that was great about that, that period. That was super great. It was uh, the best day of my career, yeah. and it always will be a great memory. Great to meet you. Thank you for talking yeah, to you us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. Gracias. Thank you. Gracias. Thank you. So I'm uh, sitting here with uh, Bjorn Esmond. Bjorn, we bumped into each other in the BSB paddock oof, probably three years ago, I'm guessing now. And then I saw you briefly at the NEC motorcycle show. And then I never got around to being able to organise a time to have a chat with you. But quite a lot's changed for you in that period of time. So are you doing any competitive riding at the moment? Obviously, you're here in your capacity as what exactly within the Red Bull Racing KTM team? Currently, I'm uh, Brad Binder's personal assistant for 2023 and going into 2024. Right. So, yeah, a lot has changed since we caught up that day at the NEC. Uh, I guess back then I was still racing competitively in the British Superbike Series in, in Superbikes, which yeah. is great. I really enjoyed my time there for uh, many years and uh, made a lot of good friends and contacts and have a, a lot of great memories from, the, from those times. Uh, sorry about this noise in the background. <laughs> the but, uh, noise in the background. Yeah, so for now, uh, that's sort of behind me, and I, I'm working closely with Brad and uh, hoping that I can help to bring him and the team the, the goal, which is a world championship. 
Uh, as for competitive racing, I did a couple of uh, wild cards this year in uh, European Classic Endurance, which we won at Brands Hatch. And uh, I did one in the BMW Cup, which was fun. Didn't quite uh, get the results I was looking for, but that was that's another story. But yeah, for now, the focus is Brad. And so what does a typical weekend look like in terms of the sort of work? Are you out on track doing some spotting for him, doing some kind of rider coach type activity? Is that part of what you do? No, the team actually have uh, Mika Kaleo doing all of that stuff. Right. So I'm just directly uh, assisting Brad with preparations, you know, a bit of his nutrition, what drinks he's having, what food, when to eat, uh, you know, what to eat. In the box, I sit and I write all the split times, you know, record all the laps, data, just on a clipboard for him so he can see when he comes in. Just make sure generally that he's ready to not worry about anything else except putting the bike where it needs to be, which is at the front. Yeah, well, quite a big change, I suppose, for you. What prompted the move away from BSB in the first place? I think, uh, you know, it was never getting easier to race. I mean, we all, we, everyone feels the same, team owners, riders, whatever, you know, it always comes down to the fact that it all revolves around a, of money and sponsorship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had some fantastic sponsors along the way, Catboss, Everquip, uh, a lot of personal sponsorships, uh, Make It Happen, Solutions, Pro Air. So many guys said, I can't even, I, you know, I'm going to leave them out now. But these guys looked after me so well. And I'm so grateful to each and every one of them for their help because it allowed me to continue. But when this opportunity came, it just seemed like it was the right time to take, if you like, the next step and, and prolong my career in motorsport, which is my which is my passion. And to do it alongside uh, my great friend and what a, a great rider in a great team yeah. well that seemed a perfect next venture uh, an impossible to refuse offer i guess is what it, was, yeah, it was very hard to turn down yeah, yeah very hard <laughs> um obviously you're from south africa as well did you grow up racing against brad i mean obviously you've known him quite a long time yeah we've known each other a heck of a lot of years but uh, we grew up racing right at the end of my time inside uh, both of our times because he went the motor gp route i went to british Superbike. yeah but brad is a couple of years younger than me so uh you know, I'd been, already been racing there for a while before this, uh, the new kid on the block turned up and was uh, mixing it right at the front with all of us. So, you know, everyone could see that Brad was a talent for, right from the beginning. And uh, it's clear to see now that he is a, an exceptional talent. And uh, I'm really proud to stand next to him and give my best for him and uh, represent South Africa together. I mean, Bjorn, anybody that ran in BSB at the level that you did, I mean, you're a bloody talented rider yourself. So what is it when you look at somebody like Brad? What is that extra that he brings? Can you kind of put that into any kind of words? I wish I knew because I would have implemented this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think that uh, I think a lot of riders, uh, a lot of us are all, uh, you know, we, we're capable and we can go fast and all those things in your moments and on your day. But I think the difference between a rider like Brad, for example, and the rest of the MotoGP riders and all the other uh, top riders is they just seem to have that X factor where they can deliver constantly consistency is, uh, is key and they just seem to be able to do it time and time again when maybe other talented people just can't seem to find that level of consistency and keep on taking you know minimal step by step mm. bettering yourself and I think that's probably where it comes down to making that little extra bit of difference. I like to call it relentless progression. <laughs> yeah I mean and that's what it's all about I mean any sport it's always progressing so if you can continue that progression in every time you jump on a bike or whatever you're doing you'll always be one little half a step ahead of the rest, and I think that's the difference. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, it's been great to talk to you. I mustn't keep you uh, too much, because it's well, getting towards the end of the day here. Busy day for you, I guess, uh, Thursday at the beginning of a Grand Prix weekend. Yeah, it's a uh, set-up day, so for me it's, it's pretty busy, but, you know, 
take it all in the stride. And, uh, I'm having a great time yeah. uh, with what I'm doing, and uh, I'm very grateful to Brad and, and the team at uh, Red Bull KT Impact Racing and, and everyone that's uh, made me feel very welcome this year as we approach the end. Perfect. Well, it's uh, good to catch up with you on long last. It's, uh, sorry it took me so long. Yeah, <laughs> Today seemed like the ideal opportunity just to see where you're at. So, uh, yeah, Bjorn, nice to talk to you, and thank you very much for coming on today. Thanks a lot. Far. Really appreciate it. Thanks Cheers. for the time. Cheers. Just had the pleasure to bump into Randy Mamola in the pit lane. Randy, how are you, first of all? I'm good. What do you think of MotoGP 2023 with all these ride height devices and things sprouting off the fairing? Are you a fan? What do you think of it all? Uh, listen, uh, you can read pretty much everybody's uh, story from older riders to the newer riders and so on. Obviously, the riders that have to run it, uh, it's part of their game. Things are about technology and you have to live with it. It's just how do we police it now? and how do we continue to go down in the future. Obviously, you need the same ability of uh, the people that can police it, of understanding aerodynamics and things like that, and, and, and about motorcycles. And I just think that the, they need to sit around and do that. But, um, you know, the race has been good, uh, exciting. We've still got a great championship going right down to the wire. Yep. Uh, I, I think one of the biggest things, more than anything else, has been the tire issue, because, uh, Am I going to be in traffic today? My tire pressure going to go up? Imagine <laughs> just going to work and thinking that. Do you not think that there's a simple solution just to alter the, the limit that they're having to run at at the moment? I'm, I'm not an engineer, so don't ask me that. But, you know, you, if you think of things like this, why doesn't Michelin put the same air in everybody's tire? And then no matter what happens. Well, well when you have people who brake really hard, you have people that are in traffic with four or five bikes, it's going to be completely different. And then it makes it hard to... You know, to make the things work for obviously the uh, towards the championship, but uh, you know, we're continuing to learn on how to manage things for yeah. sure. Fascinating insight. Thanks for your time. No worries. Good to talk to you. Cheers, John. Yeah. You got uh, two seconds for a question for Motopod. You like? Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to ask you. I mean, fantastic result for the team last time out with that podium. Yeah, yeah. How, how's the team feeling? Uh, yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was uh, well deserved on Marcos's part. He uh, he rode well, and yeah, I mean the team obviously has been working really hard, but no, I think he did do a good job, and uh, it was well deserved on his part the way he you know he deserved it. He's been fast on the bike ever since he came into the team. So yeah, are you seeing something different that he's doing to sort of elevate uh, the performance like this? No, well, I mean it was a crucial point in his career, and you know it's. You know, multiple years now he's been in the paddock and you know I think we've always offered you know a competitive package but you know with the rookies that we've had on board you know the last couple of years it's made it a little bit more difficult you know mm -hmm. result wise but I believe our package has always been quite good yeah nice to talk to you all right Glad to Thanks, have you back buddy. on the pod again I think you've been yeah. on in the past yeah but, uh, probably some years ago and by the way anybody that hasn't read John's book let <laughs> buy it and read it because it's uh, bloody brilliant I, I appreciate it Good thank buddy. you thanks, thanks man